Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. If you would take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. While you're turning there, again, I just want to say thanks to the Bible Center family, for those of you who are here today, part of us, and for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. I look forward to meeting you. I'm Matt, the lead pastor. Would love to meet you soon. Look forward to getting to know you and helping getting you connected. I want to start today by asking a question about your temperature. How many of you have had your temperature taken in a public place since this pandemic began? How many of you had your temperature taken? Okay, almost all of us. I remember the first time we had our temperatures taken publicly. Uh, It was back in the spring. We were visiting down in Florida, and we were going to go out on the the Cocoa Beach Pier. And as we're getting ready to walk onto the pier, a security officer, she stops us, and she, like, holds this gun, you know, looking thing up. It was, was, I'm probably being a little more dramatic than what it was, but it felt abrasive. It felt intrusive. And she said, I got to take your temperature before you walk out on the pier. And that was like a, a moment for, for my family now that we'll never forget as she required our temperature taken. And I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for other officers like her keeping our community safe. But it's taken me some time to get used to having my temperature taken in public places. Well, this morning, what I want to do is encourage you to take your temperature not your physical temperature. I'm not asking you to, to take your temperature in your forehead or your ear or your armpit or whatever else your mama used to do to you when you was a baby. But I am asking you to take your spiritual temperature this morning, asking the Lord to confirm in your heart that you are a Christian. Now, I don't typically preach messages like this. I believe that God has called me as the pastor of a church to primarily equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so 95% of my messages deal with growing as Christians, that we might be the salt and light that God has called us to be. But this morning I'm preaching a message. Paul told Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. And so today I'm preaching a message to, to ask you to open your heart and ask God to search your heart to see, to make sure that you are a Christian. There's something we talk about, the assurance of salvation. And you say, well, 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 Pastor Matt, why is a message like this so important? Well, look with me at Matthew 7, 21 and 23 by way of introduction. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Here's today's big idea. This is the, the idea that I want you to remember, and that I pray that sinks into your heart, and that you'll believe the most important temperature you'll ever take is the one of your own heart. The most important temperature you'll ever take is the one of your own heart. I believe this morning's message, my goal is this, to help you have a good day on judgment day. 
to help you have a good day on judgment day. I don't want that to be said of you. Jesus doesn't want that to be said of you. I don't want Matthew 7 to apply to anybody in this room, anybody on our live stream, but I want you to have a good day on judgment day. And so in the next few minutes, I'm gonna preach a message and give you seven ways, seven questions you can ask to take your own spiritual temperature. Number one, what questions can we ask? Number one, ask yourself this. Am I slow to judge others and quick to examine myself? Am I slow to judge others and quick to examine myself? In the context of Matthew 7, Jesus gives us these series of tests that we can ask ourselves leading up to verses 21 through 23. So look with me at verse 1. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Ask yourself this question. Am I quick or slow to judge others and quick to examine myself? Now in the context of Matthew 7, Jesus is not preventing us from being wise, from being discerning or even using judgment as long as we're using it according to the Bible. Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, John chapter seven, but judge righteous judgment. Even in the context of Matthew seven, he even gives us permission to exercise a certain amount of discernment and judgment. But this point here in verse one in context is that we be quick to judge ourselves and slow to judge others. And in an effort to help you examine your own spiritual condition, let me ask you this question this morning. Do you take an honest assessment of yourself or are you notorious for picking the speck out of everyone else's eye while you walk around with a telephone pole in your own eye? That's the point of Jesus, his message in Matthew 7. Now, we see this all throughout the New Testament, especially the Gospels. But in Matthew 23, if you're taking notes, and we're not going to look at all those references, but I've put a ton of references in here so you can examine the scriptures for yourself this week. But in Matthew 23, Jesus talked about the religious leaders, the religious elite. And his point in preaching to them, he gives them seven woes, but these are people who were adding to God's word. They were adding their own standards. They were adding their own laws, their own rules. They called themselves the, the mature ones because they had added to the scriptures and they couldn't understand why Jesus wasn't preaching on the things that they thought should be preached on when in reality, they weren't part of the new covenant. And so, and so Jesus speaks to them in Matthew 23 and he says, you have neglected the more important matters of the law. So even Jesus says some things are more important than others. He says, you've neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that's a big reference I would urge you to check out this week. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith, 
prove your own selves. So there were times, even the Apostle Paul's ministry, as he's teaching and preaching and wanting to build up the church, that he would just stop and say, hey, by the way, take a moment and just make sure you're saved. Just make sure you're saved. And one of the marks of a Christian, according to 1 John 1, is that true Christians are very aware of their own sin. True Christians are very aware of their own sin. So if this is you and you're very aware of your own sin, then be encouraged this morning. That's the mark of a Christian. 1 John 1, we're aware. We confess our sins regularly. We repent regularly because God has opened our heart to these spiritual truths. But if you're the type of person that can't remember the last time you examined yourself, but you're the type of person who's always pointing fingers, always sending emails, always dropping those notes on social media about what's wrong with everybody else, but you haven't examined your own heart maybe ever, my job as a pastor is to tell you, please examine yourself and see if you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Am I slow to judge others and quick to examine myself? Number two, is prayer a regular part of my life? Is prayer a regular part of my life? Again, the New Testament is just, there's a plethora of verses about this, that Christians, true Christians, they pray. None of us pray like we ought to. None of us pray like we want to. But true Christians pray as a natural response to life. People who aren't true believers don't pray. Prayer is not a regular habit, at least for the proper motive, as we see in the scriptures. Let's listen to Jesus's words. Matthew 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Ask yourself, is prayer a regular part of my life? Now, this is all in context of Matthew 23, leading up to that famous passage where Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. It's all in context. And so he's talking about a father-son relationship here. Now, in my 18 years of pastoral ministry, I've met a number of men and women who, even in their adult years, would recognize they had fathers who were hard and callous and maybe abusive at times. And so they have a really, really hard time relating to not only their earthly father, but also their heavenly father. I'm very aware of that. That is a huge problem as we get our view of God often from our earthly father. So I challenge you dads, help us, may God help us to remember that as we're relating to our children and our grandchildren. I've also met a number of children who, who made some really, really poor choices. They had loving fathers, loving mothers, not perfect, none of us are perfect, but they've chosen to spurn the love, to reject the love that they were given. They rejected a Christian upbringing. They rejected the love that they had. And that's also a reality. And so I recognize there's always exceptions. But here's the point I believe Jesus is making. 
People who are in a loving relationship with their father want to talk to their father. That's the normal. People who are in a loving relationship with their father want to talk to their father. And so if you find yourself as a habit of life wanting to talk to the Lord and you find yourself in a continual place of prayer, again, not as much as you want to, but oh, prayer is a part of your life, then be encouraged today. Be encouraged. God says that's actually one of the marks of a Christian. But if not, if that's not you, God says, search yourself, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Ask yourself, is prayer a regular part of my life? Number three, do I treat others the way I want them to treat me? Do I treat others the way I want them to treat me? Notice verse 12, one of the most famous verses of the Bible. This verse hung in our public school growing up at Lakewood Elementary in St. Albans. I remember it hanging on the wall as a kid in the 80s. In verse 12, Jesus said, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do I treat others the way that I want them to treat me? Now, if this describes you, again, be encouraged. Again, none of us live this perfectly, but if this is your desire, you desire to love other people. You desire to ask for forgiveness when you lose your cool or blow your top. You desire to seek the peace and the harmony as much as you possibly can. If this is you, if this is your deepest desire, be encouraged. But God has some very strong warnings, warnings for you if this is not the habit of your life. Now, please don't take my words. I have no authority when it comes to heaven and earth. God does. Listen to his words. Matthew 5 and verse 21. Jesus said this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Those are Jesus's words. First John chapter three, John, Jesus's closest disciple writes this. First John three, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who do not, does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and truth. In American evangelicalism, what we typically do when we want to give someone assurance of their salvation, we'll often say this, well, have you prayed the prayer? Have you prayed the prayer? Now, please know I'm all for praying prayers. I just preached on that a moment ago, and I do believe the scriptures teach in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice the wording of that verse. It does not say whoever has prayed a prayer shall be saved. 
It says, whoever wants the Lord. And context in verse 9 of Romans 10 says, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You see, I believe that's the test we need to be giving ourselves. When Jesus was preaching on assurance of salvation, he said, if you're a hateful person, you probably don't have it. I love you and I know you love me. But I plead with you this morning to search your heart and ask yourself, does the trajectory of my life show someone who's a cantankerous, hateful person? Or does the trajectory of my life show someone that seeks to be a loving person, seeks to be a kind person, doesn't always hit the mark, but by God's grace, I repent when I don't. Do I treat others the way I want them to treat me? Number four, Am I on a path of spiritual life or spiritual death? Ask yourself, am I on a path of spiritual life or spiritual death? Verse 13, Jesus continues. One of the hardest sermons he ever preached. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Am I on a path of spiritual life or spiritual death? Thankfully, Jesus is somewhat vague here. He doesn't drill down a lot into what he means. And so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time drilling down a lot. I think the scriptures are filled with examples of what spiritual life is. And so again, I wanna encourage you, if you think you see your life as being, uh, since you put your faith in Christ and had that, that salvation experience, if you've seen your life as being one of transformation and growth, not perfection, but it's on a trajectory of, of being more like Jesus, be encouraged. That's a sign, life, spiritual life is a sign that you've been born again. That's why Jesus said what he said in John 3, you must be born again. But if your life is characterized by constantly choosing your way over God's way, continually walking down your own path and not God's path with little regard for God's word, I wanna urge you today to commit your life to Christ to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in Luke 13, 23. Somebody asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort. In other words, strive, make it a priority. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try. It's a different word there, not strive. They're not gonna make it a priority. They're just gonna... You know, it's just going to be a, on the lower burner. They're going to try to enter and will not be able to do it. Am I on a path of spiritual life or spiritual death? Number five, does my life produce more good fruit or bad fruit? Does my life produce more good fruit or bad fruit? Matthew chapter seven and verse 15 Again, the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree that bears fruit, and but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Does my life yield more good fruit or more bad fruit? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. You could also translate that as passing away. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things have become or are becoming new. Both are true, depending on which perspective you take. So if this you this morning, if, if your life is, is still being transformed and shaped by Jesus, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Once in a while, someone will ask me, Pastor Man, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. How can I know I'm saved? And I'll say, well, why do you ask that question? And they say, because I, I, I just continue to sin and, and I don't like it. I don't want to continue to sin. I want to live a good life. Pastor Matt, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. And typically what I tell that person is from the scriptures, that desire that you have to bear fruit that desire you have and that disdain that you have for not bearing good fruit, that's often evidence that you are a Christian. I would be more worried about those who could care less. Who, who's, as I'm preaching, could think there's a million other things he could be preaching on. Why in the world is he preaching on this? The reason I'm preaching on it is because Jesus did. And it was a big deal to Jesus. He loved people. And his desire was that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. As Paul wrote to Timothy, I was thinking this week about the first time I tried to plant a tree. My gardening skills are about like my camping skills. I tried to plant a persimmon tree. Anybody like persimmons? Any persimmon fans in here? It's kind of like an apricot, sort of, uh, but they're, they used to be all over Appalachia. And, and, uh, and so I wanted to plant one as a kid. And I remember getting the kind that, you know, could, they would bloom fruit on their own. Some of them you have to have, you have to have both the male and the female. Others just bloom on their own. And so we got the right kind of tree and we were going to plant it behind my papa's barn in Clay County. And so in my mind, my dad said, you can plant it wherever you want, wherever you want. And so in my mind, as a little kid, I'm thinking, well, it needs to have a lot of water, a lot of water, and we don't want it to burn up on the hillside, so it's got to have some shade. And so I planted it in the shade with a lot of water with a, right beside a creek that flowed behind my papa's barn. Well, actually, I went back, and, and, and I knew that it, my tree died within about a year. It looked like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. It just kind of withered and died. And I, I went back this week to study. I wonder why that tree died. And I found out that persimmon trees flourish in a place where there's a lot of sunshine and not a lot of water. I was like, oh, so that's why my tree died. It never bore fruit. Jesus said, think of your life a lot that way. If, if you're a person who's, who's, who says they're a Christian, but your life has never borne good fruit, James says, faith without works is dead. Does my life produce more good fruit or bad fruit? Number six, do I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? Do I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? Back to our verses we read earlier, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Ask yourself, do I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? If you're someone who wants Jesus, and you study Jesus, and you seek Jesus, and you're always looking to know more about Jesus, and you speak with Jesus, be encouraged. If you have a relationship with Jesus, be encouraged. These verses should encourage you personally. But in a crowd this size, I can't help but imagine that there are some who have a relationship with the church, but not Jesus. You have a relationship with baptism, but not Jesus. You have a relationship with religion in general, but not Jesus. I heard recently Tim Keller, a retired pastor from New York City, said that in his experience of seeing and reading about revivals in churches, that typically when revival hits a city, it begins with a many church members, longtime church members coming to faith in Christ. And I had to read that again, like, what are you talking about? And his point was that when genuine Holy Spirit revival hits a city, people wake up and recognize that maybe they've never truly become a follower of Jesus, but they became a follower of religion. And so Jesus says here, make sure you have a relationship with me. I read this week, the test, the best test to determine whether or not you're born again could be this. I'll read it to you and let you think for yourself. If it were possible to take Jesus out of heaven, out of the new heavens, out of the new earth, whatever timeline you're thinking of, if it were possible, we know it's not possible, but if it was, if we could take Jesus out of heaven but leave everything else, the street of gold, total healing, river of life, the perfect temperature, and so on, would you still want to spend eternity there? Would you want to spend eternity there if Jesus wasn't there? How you answer that question could largely determine your spiritual temperature. You didn't get saved because you wanted to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. You got saved because you wanted Jesus. I want to encourage you to ask when in your life have you started a relationship with Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me, but you do not follow me because you are not my sheep. Do I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus? Lastly, number seven, Am I building my life around eternal things or temporal things? Am I building my life around eternal or temporal things? Matthew 7, verse 24, he finishes the chapter. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and the floods came up. If you remember that song, the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall 
because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down and the streams arose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Ask yourself, am I building my life around eternal things or temporal things? If you're the type of person who has put their faith in Christ and you've seen not your works earn your salvation, but it's your faith in Christ uh, connect you with Jesus. But from that faith, if you're the type of person who, who enjoys investing your time or your talents or your treasures, and that's just kind of a natural part of your life, be encouraged. That's a symptom or evidence of something good. But if you're the type of person who's all about you, I would not be doing my responsibility. I would not be doing my duty if I did not tell you, be very, very careful. Because Jesus said there's going to be people who've built a beautiful life, but there's coming a day there's going to be a great crash because they did it for them and not for Christ. Ask yourself, am I building my life around eternal things or temporal things? Now, why am I so burdened for this message? Why, is it, why, is it, why was Jesus so burdened to communicate this truth? Well, I think the answer goes back to our main point. The greatest, most important temperature you'll ever take is the one of your own heart. That's what I want you to do today. That's what I, I challenge you today. Just like I had to do this week preparing for the message. I wanna tell you a story as we close about someone who lived this firsthand. And I got to watch it. I watched him live it. It was my best friend, Ryan, growing up. Ryan and his family moved from Parkersburg uh, down to Charleston when I was in the fourth grade. He became a, a student at Lakewood with me, began to play basketball with me. And I remember my parents inviting Ryan and his family to church. Now, Ryan's dad had grown up in a pastor's home, but had gotten away from the Lord and, and realized that he had truly never become a follower of Jesus himself. And so I remember the Sunday morning in first, first grade when his Ryan's mom and dad decided to be a follower of Jesus. I remember that. Well, I just assumed that Ryan also decided to be a follower of Jesus because he stood with his parents and in the tradition of the church that I grew up in, you, you made that public even before baptism in our tradition. We try to make it public at baptism. But it, nevertheless, we all just assumed that he was putting his faith in Christ too. And so we went through middle school together, got into high school together. And I remember one day we were walking through the woods. Ryan is a true hunter, true outdoorsman. We're walking through the woods, and I remember one day out of the blue, we weren't even talking about Jesus, we weren't even talking about church. I can almost take you to the spot. I can still see the gravel, I can still smell the dust. The spot where he turns to me and he says, Matt, I'm tired of faking it. I need Jesus too. And it was like, we're talking about hunting and fishing and everything else. He's like, I'm tired of faking it. I need Jesus too. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't truly have not truly wanted to follow Jesus until right now, but I want to follow Christ. And I remember us kneeling there in that dirt road or that gravel road and Ryan in his own words calling on the name of the Lord to save him. I remember that. 
Ryan is now pastor in Indiana. His sister is actually the spouse of uh, Jason Quintrell, the CEO of Union Mission. Uh, just kind of a neat connection the way God brought them together. But Ryan, when you ask him, Ryan, when were you a Christian? Ryan will say, it's when I decided to follow Jesus. Not when I joined the church, not when my parents patted me on top of the head, when I truly wanted to follow Jesus. And he would take you back to a gravel road where he gave his life to Christ. Let me ask you, when did you truly decide to follow Christ? You might not know the date or the time or even the spot on the gravel road, but what about these seven tests? As you take your own spiritual temperature, does the Holy Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're the child of God? If so, be encouraged and join me in prayer for others. But if not, who cares about pride? Who cares about ego? Commit your life to Christ today. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.